So, there's been a whole bunch of, of films and movies that have been released in the, in the last while. Sci-fi movies that deal with various levels of artificial intelligences. And it's quite interesting to think about because if you think just on a very basic level how a computer works, a computer's got a hard drive, which is the long-term memory, and then it's got RAM, which is short-term memory, and then you've got your user interface, which is your keyboard. So it's almost based very loosely and in a very general way on the human brain, on the, on the, on the human mind. So the, the input interface, we program the computer, whereas us as humans, all our stimulations and the things that we see and the things that we experience determine how we make our decisions and what we base our decisions on. So I'm one of those people who don't believe that uh, artificial intelligence is something that is achievable in the very near future. I think it's something that is going to take a, a tremendous amount of time to come to terms with. Now, they, they developed a computer called DeepThink. And DeepThink was a, a chess computer that was one of the first computers that was designed to beat Grandmaster chess players. And the way that they programmed this machine is in pattern recognition. So what that machine does is it will look at, it will process thousands of patterns to determine which is the optimal move to make in a in a chess game and the computers have done exceptionally well if i'm not mistaken i stand under correction here they're on par just ahead of human chess players i know gary kasparov played one of these one of these computers and it was it was i think it was they drew in the in the competition i don't have the exact up-to-date information there's another game another computer that they designed called AlphaGo and Go is a Japanese or a Chinese game that's more complicated than chess and requires a lot more strategy and they've established that same kind of almost status quo where the machine is just the head of the of the human players and I watched a documentary on this and the there was so much anticipation around the human player being able to beat the robot. It was just assumed that, that the human player would be able to beat the robot strategically. That when they drew, it was quite an upset. And again, the way that this system has been set up is pattern recognition. Now, if you go to Europe... If you travel around Europe and you're on a European passport, you don't have to go through the traditional customs process, which is going, meeting somebody. Somebody looks at your passport, looks at you to see if what they're seeing is correct, asks you a few questions and stamps your passport and allows you to go through customs. And they have a queue of a personless entry into Europe where you take your passport and you put it on a scanner and they've got two little footprints there and you put your feet in the footprints and you stare at 
stay, stay ahead. And they ask you to look at a mark. And the camera scans your passport and your passport photo and you. And then the gates open and you pass through. So <clears throat> I remember when, when this happened because I was quite intrigued by the whole process. Unfortunately, our passports, our South African passports, are not very secure, which is why the visa process has become so much more difficult for South Africans to go into Europe. It's much harder than it used to be. <coughs> Whereas the European passports are a lot more secure with computer chips and just the technology and the way that they're designed. And I imagine that thousands of them don't get stolen and people's identities are not getting stolen for whatever reason, be that as it may. And the reason why I mentioned this whole process of scanning to get into Europe is that they are not exactly sure how facial recognition technology was developed. Facial recognition technology was developed by computers. And they don't really know how. You know, so there you have a system that through a process of looking at patterns, because that's how computers work, is they look at patterns, that has come up with a technology that is able to identify the differences between humans and they're not, we as humans are not 100% sure how the computer came up with, that, with, that, uh, with those calculations. Now, okay. if I look at myself, if I look at us as, as humans, we have that ability to recognize patterns. It's a very important part of being able to navigate. Because if you want to go from here where we are in Randburg and you want to go down to Poisons in City Deep, you need to know how to get from here to there. You need to be able to figure out that what is going to be the easiest way. How can I navigate that uh, route? And the problem is when we as humans start seeing patterns in everything, that problems develop. That's where psychosis comes in. And that's where schizophrenia, the, the neighborhood that schizophrenia hangs around in, is because people are seeing things that are not there and creating associations and seeing patterns and connections that are not there that make them paranoid and people are following me and people are listening to me, etc., 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 whatever it might be. That's putting things together. That's where the pattern recognition in our minds goes haywire. Now, it would be very easy to say, okay, so now you know that it's the patterns. You stop looking at patterns. Stop trying to join and connect everything together. The problem is, is when you're caught in a kind of psychosis like that can be very hard because it's very real. You know, the patterns you just, and it's not something that happens, something that builds over a period of time. And then you reach a tipping point and almost drop off the edge and it's very difficult to come back from something like that. So <clears throat> back to what I was talking about, it, it, I think it would be very, very difficult for a machine to independently look at circumstances and use intelligence 
to make a decision. Now, the, the one film that comes to my mind is uh, Elysium uh, with Matt Damon. Very, very, very good film. I absolutely recommend it. It's very good. But in the film, the protagonist, Matt, Matt Damon, uh, out of bad decision-making, out of bad choices, antagonizes one of the police robots. And if he was having that conversation with a person, it would just be seen as a bit of cheekiness. But the robot breaks his arm. And then he's late for work. Then he has to go and appear in court on charges of aggravating the police robot. And when he arrives in court, the magistrate that he has to see is a robot. So he doesn't see this plastic dummy pop out and then he has to argue his case with the, with the plastic dummy. But the plastic dummy has got pre-programmed responses. So it doesn't understand the nuances of conversation and you know a bit of sarcasm maybe and a little bit of, of, of cheekiness. Now obviously there's a very, very good argument in if you are dealing with a robot, just keep your mouth shut and nod and... A yes or no, so three bags full. So, but we've all dealt with uh, telephone answering systems when you phone the bank. There you are coming face to face with a computer system that is trying to replace a human being. And we all universally think that the reason that they're using that system is because they want to get rid of us and they want to irritate us into not phoning them. Who doesn't think that? Because I certainly think that's the most frustrating thing. But there it is. It's an artificial intelligence. It doesn't hear what you're saying properly. It gets confused. You get transferred. You don't even know if you've got the right phone number for the right department. It's, it's a huge confusion. And there's a, there's a lot of talk about using computer systems to deal with minor uh, legal procedure, procedures. You know, so there's no... There's no, none of that human element. You know, there's the programming and none of, none of the people. So our hero in the film lands up in a, in a lot of trouble because he has to deal with this uh, robotic system and it frustrates the, the life out. I'm sure all of you have screamed and shouted at the phone when you have to deal with the press one, four, press two, four, press three, and then it goes up to eight or nine. You know? <laughs> and none of them are the ones that you want. And all you want to do is speak to an operator. Just please just help me here so that I can quickly get to where it is that I need to, that I need to go to. Another thing that they've been speaking about is self-driving cars. And that's an interesting one because I'm sure everybody has seen the Will Smith movie, I, Robot. That's an old movie. It's been on many times. And in, in I, Robot, the robot makes a decision to save the policeman instead of saving the child. And the policeman has resentment about this because he feels that the child should have been saved before he was saved. But the robot looks at the situation and at the scenario 
and makes a decision based on survivable odds that it would be better for he had a better chance of survival had his arm ripped off in the process then the, the child would had less odds and this is the argument that they have around self-driving cars is these old thought experiments if a train is gunning down a, a railway line and on the one track there's an oncoming train with 150 passengers in it and on the other track is a stationary car with 50 passengers in it you know which way do you swing the lever you know and who takes responsibility for making that decision or do you just say you know what, the train is on the track. I'm not going to interfere with the direction that the train is going in. The train must go in its direction. And these are the questions that they're asking around self-driving cars is if there's going to be an accident, if you're going to swerve out of the road and possibly injure somebody else, would you leave that decision to a robot? Or would it be better to have a human being in the moment making that decision? Now, this is a very, very interesting question because I, I play the guitar, right? And in the guitar world, your amplifier is quite a big deal in the way that your sound is processed. And for twice the money, you can buy a hand-wired, hand-soldered amplifier. For twice the money of buying one that has been produced on a production line. Now, me being a person who has worked in factories, I would much rather buy one that has been produced on a production line than somebody who has sat there with a soldering iron and welded each soldered each joint and each piece of wire and cut each piece of wire on this thing because of human error. You know, if you have a machine that is producing thousands of these PC boards and printing them uh, flawlessly and they have a quality control procedure in place there, it just makes sense to me that a robot would be much more accurate and much more point-to-point -point with, with something like that than, than some dude. And if we just go back 50 years and look at the way things were done back then and the way that things are done now and why are things done the way that they are done now? Is it purely just to save money? Because we don't want to spend money on, on hand labor? Or are there some jobs that robots can do better than we do? So, and there's another example of, of a type of artificial intelligence that we all deal with on a, on a regular basis. And I think it's a really good example of where the technology currently is, and that's Google Maps. Because you try and get Google Maps to do exactly what you want. You know, I want a shortcut through the suburbs and it always sends me on the highway. And then when I'm in a hurry and I want to go on the highway, it can be really, really frustrating. I've gone into those settings and poked around in there and tried to to manage it, it's a, it's a real pain in the butt. So there's, there's another element here. So remember what 
the the point was that I made right in the beginning. I made the point that I don't think artificial intelligence is going to be something that is going to be a viable solution for a long time still because computers deal with pattern recognition. Is sifting through patterns thinking? I don't know, they've been programmed to do that. Have we been programmed to think? I don't know. I don't know so much about that. So, there are programs online, and I'm sure you've fiddled around with it, where you can, like Siri, ask Siri a question, and it gives you, gives you an answer. Would you be interested in going to an art gallery to look at computer-generated art? Would that be something that would appeal to you? Would you be interested in listening to music that is generated by computers, for the aesthetic of it? I certainly wouldn't. I don't even know if I'd be vaguely curious. I want to talk just a little bit that missing part. I like the Hindu religion very much. It explains some of these concepts in such a simple way. One of the things that they talk about in Hinduism is they talk about karma. Now we all know what, everybody knows what karma is. The decisions and the choices that you make have an impact, they have consequences. So if you do bad things, there are consequences for making those choices, it's karma. Uh, I'm sure a lot of us wish that karma was a lot more violent than it actually appears to be. <laughs> but just, just purely, the, the idea makes quite a lot of sense. Is if you are disciplined and you work hard at something, you will gain results from that effort. So I take, I've started taking guitar lessons. My playing has increased, my skill level and my ability has increased exponentially just over a few months of taking some guidance, of applying myself to the equations and to the problems, trying to understand the theory behind the notes. If I apply myself to understanding finances and how finances work and how spreadsheets work, I will obviously benefit from an exercise like that. Another example would be if I stop drinking and using drugs. It's a no-brainer. Your life will improve. doesn't matter who you are and how much you're drinking and using. If you're drinking and using let's just say a little bit more than, than socially, and you stop, of course your life will get better. If you do it the way that we do it, it's a no-brainer your life is going to get better, just purely based on drinking and not drinking. Of course there are other factors that, are, that come into play in those, in those kind of equations. One of them which I mentioned yesterday is, is if you're a drunken horse thief and you stop drinking, you're still a horse thief. We're not talking about that. We're talking just about purely stopping drinking. You're going to have more money. You're going to have more time. You're going to have more energy. 
you're going to think clearer. So if we use those examples, it would be very fair for me to say that the word karma has meanings associated with it that we might not like. Oh, that's that Eastern religion stuff. Can't be thinking about that. But if I say, you know what, if you apply yourself to your schoolwork, you'll get good results. That makes complete sense. There's another word that they use that is also fraught with meaning, which is Dharma. And Dharma means, Dharma is your life purpose. So, just as an abstract example, if you are a diligent student at school, and you do all your homework, and excel well in your studies, and really apply yourself to your studies, and go to university after that, and find something there that you really want to do, and work hard and study hard, and get into a field that is associated with that, with that work, or something that you can use that, that, that work with. That's exactly the same thing, is, is your karma will show you your dharma. Your dharma will be revealed as part of your karma. Your life purpose will be revealed as part of the choices and the decisions that you make in your life. Now, there's, a, there's another very interesting concept that they talk about, which is a, quite an abstract concept. And they talk about reincarnation. Now, reincarnation is quite an amusing concept because the way that it's normally spoken about is if you have good karma in your life you will come back in your next life as a fluffy cat in someone's house who loves cats you know something like that that's what the general thinking around reincarnation is but reincarnation can also be looked at from a perspective of death and rebirth and death and rebirth and death and rebirth so at 26, my old life stopped and a new life began for me. I stopped drinking and I stopped using when I was 26. In essence, I died and I was reborn again. And then when I was 41, a similar thing happened again. That was also tied into that period before I was 26. Because of the choices and the decisions that I was making, because of the way that I thought about things and the way that I processed things in my mind, at 41 I burned out and I couldn't continue doing things the way that I was doing them because it was causing me so much pain. That's where I learned about the surrender, that's where I learned how to, how to let go. And in again, there was, a, there was another process of life and death, of reincarnation. So it wouldn't be a huge stretch of the imagination to say that the choices and the decisions that you are going to make are going to determine the trajectory that your life takes. Choices and the decisions that you make. And 
the highest ideal that they talk about is they talk about a thing called moksha. What that means is to be liberated from the cycle of the cycle of birth and death, of being reborn again and again and again. And that is, as far as I can understand in the things that I've looked at and the studying that I've done, is to let go. Is to work that surrender. So, let me put this all together for you the way that I'm seeing this in my mind. There are systems and there are structures and there are ways of doing things and there are laws and there are the way that things run and there are rules and there are formulas. And all of those things are an important part of allowing our society to function and allowing our society to operate. But if we just rely on those things, there's a, a human element there that is missing. There's a human component there that is missing. That's why when people say to me, Dom, thank you so much. I've been here three days. I've learned my lesson. I know that all I need to do is I just need to work the five pillars and get a sponsor and I'll go to meetings and I'll be fine. You know, because in essence, what that person is doing is they're saying, all right, from now on, I'm just going to be following the rules. If I follow the rules, I'm going to be okay. And that's very much where communism came from is we are going to be all following the rules and everything is going to be fair for everybody and it's all going to be utopian everybody will be the same and everybody will be equal and no one will have more of anything than anybody else and we will all share everything provided we all follow the rules and we will take those ones who don't follow the rules and we will execute them all and send them to Siberia and teach them their lesson So that if they follow the rules, then they can all be part of our, of our utopian society that we, that we are going to, to be building. There was a story that, that I heard about a professor who took his son to a sporting event. They were selling a thing called hard lemonade. And he was a bit of a dizzy professor. And he just thought that it was lemonade and he bought his son a lemonade at the game and a policeman at the game saw the kid drinking this lemonade and arrested the father and the father had to appear in court and the magistrate commented after all of this that he wished that he had had, had some power of interpretation of the law because he felt that the law that had been put in place because you can imagine all the magistrates in a whole country there are going to be lots that are incompetent. So they've written laws 
that all these people have to adhere to. That if there are certain crimes, this is so, what the sentence was, is he had to move out of his family home for six months. He had to go into special counseling, supervised visits, and only after a period of six months was he allowed to reintegrate with his family. And the magistrate thought that this was too harsh a, a punishment. So, in finding that balance between the law and humanity, I think is the quest of the ages. How do we see clearly? How do we manage? How do we understand what it is that we are faced with and somehow navigate our way through? What is it in that part of us that we need to address that is going to enable us to survive, to cope with the challenges that we are faced with? Because let's face it, how I feel about things impacts how I think about things. And how I think about things impacts how I feel about things. And sometimes it can be very confusing to identify what is a thought and what is a feeling and which one is the predominant one and how do I even begin to know what it is that I must do because I'm so overwhelmed if you had to ask me how I'm feeling now. I couldn't tell you if I'm angry, if I'm anxious, if I'm stressed out, if I'm depressed or if I'm angry because I'm feeling all of those things at the same time. And how does that impact the choices and the decisions that you make? Your perception. How does that impact your perception? So when I mention the word karma or I mention the word dharma, how much interpretation does your mind associate with those words? And is it necessary? Why? The balance lies between knowledge of and perception. And there's no ways that we will have knowledge of everything in this world. But there is something that we can do about our perception. And I guess that is the challenges of steps one, two, and three. Powerlessness, unmanageability, restoration to sanity, making some kind of decision. But not being confused or caught up in the rules and the laws and the exact wording becomes very can become very complicated or it can just be very simple and that's where recovery lies the very start of it these are i believe what what all the great spiritual organizations 
systems are trying to communicate. 